This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. I'm Heath Terry of Goldman Sachs Research. Welcome to another episode of our Venture Capital Horizon series, where we use the lens of venture capital to identify emerging technologies, business models, and entrepreneurs. In our last episode, we looked at clean energy and the advances in sustainable nuclear power. In this episode, we're going to dive into the future of e-commerce and the adoption of robotics in everything from manufacturing to packaging and delivery. It's no surprise, given the current challenges of coronavirus, people are buying online more than ever. Growth of e-commerce has skyrocketed from 18% in February to 93% in May. Looking ahead, as social distancing and safety concerns remain in place, we may be approaching a holiday season where crowded malls and fitting rooms are a thing of the past. While Amazon, with roughly 40% share in e-commerce, is dominating the space, it's clear their fulfillment capacity has been stretched beyond its limits. Over the past few months, we saw Amazon holding back shipments of non-essential items and trying to hire more than 100,000 new workers, something made even more difficult by the need to socially distance in warehouses. But new generations of affordable, advanced commercial robots are helping to solve for that. According to market research firm ABI Research, more than 50,000 warehouses worldwide will include commercial robotics by 2025, something that's only going to be accelerated by the current environment. With that backdrop, we spoke to Devin Parekh, a managing director at venture capital firm Insight Partners, who has invested in numerous e-commerce companies, as well as some of the most successful internet and software companies in the world, including Alibaba and Twitter. Is someone who's obviously been very close to the category and invested deeply in it over the over the years. How would you describe the state of e-commerce? I'll speak from my personal experience. Ordering from Amazon in the middle of March was not a good experience. You know, I had lots of things that took two weeks, three weeks, four weeks you know, to show up where you could actually go to Walmart or Target or other places and get that product a lot faster. That was an unprecedented situation, an unprecedented time. So, you know, certainly Amazon got a pass. But my point is that I think it's a situation where many of the offline companies are going to really have become better competitors over this period of time. How do you think about the enablement side of e-commerce, whether it's the software marketplace component of that, or maybe more importantly, when it comes to process complexity, the logistics, the warehousing, the robotics investments that are being made, especially you know, thinking about all of the needs for labor in warehouses and how those are changing in a COVID environment, suddenly robotics maybe gets even more interesting. How does that enablement piece sort of factor into the way that you're thinking about opportunities in e-commerce? I can tell you that every scale e-commerce company is looking at robotics, is going to have to look at robotics. Well, it's not just robotics, it's automation, right? So you know, robotics just implies the pick and pack. And in some cases, that's actually, it's fine for Amazon at Amazon scale. But for lots of companies, like it's not economic to use robotics for pick and pack. Like you're actually, it's easier to use humans for pick and pack in certain categories, depending on the size of the company. Although that may be changing. But what I was about to say, A, that might be changing, and B, COVID COVID might be forcing it, right? Meaning that it's actually hard to have high density in a warehouse right now and might be for, you know, might be for the foreseeable future. To hear how COVID is accelerating the adoption of robotics and helping solve some of the labor shortages across fulfillment, we spoke to Melanie Wise, the CEO of Fetch Robotics, a venture-backed private company building robots used to automate e-commerce warehouses like Amazon's or Walmart's. If you look at the logistics industry, you know, before the pandemic, there was a large labor shortage. There were about 600,000 jobs available in the logistics and manufacturing industry, and they weren't being filled. 
Now, today with the pandemic, we have some artificial creation of that because you can only have so many people on shift at a time. So they're still suffering from labor shortage because they can't put more people in the building due to social distancing and other factors that limit their capacity to have people in the building. And so the way we looked at solving that problem pre-pandemic and how we solve it today with the pandemic is by supplementing that labor with more efficiency tools like autonomous mobile robots. And so we help move things from point A to point B within a facility so a person doesn't have to. So, Melanie, we've obviously seen you know, the last few months of this pandemic, this incredible explosion in demand for e-commerce and delivery at home. And obviously, it's coming in even you know, with all kinds of challenges for companies trying to do fulfillment. How have you seen that impact your business here in the, the immediate term? And I guess maybe longer term, you know, how is it impacting the way that you're thinking strategically about the future for, for Fetch? We're seeing a lot of big business from segments that have been stimulated by the pandemic and specifically work from home. So that's in anything that's related to work from home, pet care, shopping at home, work from home supplies like electronics, laptops, those things. And then a lot of the more staples for things like a pandemic, medical suppliers, things like that, they're also growing and Fetch is being engaged with those. But one of the new things that it's definitely shifted some of our focuses. We've had a lot of inbound around disinfection, and we've been working with a lot of partners in the last three months to get disinfection products off the ground. And so we've been developing some new features in our software to help support the pandemic, a lot like contact tracing, social distancing tools for you know looking at where the robots can do short runs, things like that, new and easier ways to make the system more flexible for the day-to-day changes that have to happen due to staffing changes, new cleaning schedules, how we introduce cleaning robots or disinfection robots into existing customer sites to make them effective. So a lot of it is around that. Obviously, whenever you talk about robotics, it conjures up a lot of different images in people's mind. But what does that really mean for Fetch? Yeah. So if you look at our customer base, they're predominantly in two verticals, fulfillment, omnichannel fulfillment, e-commerce fulfillment, and manufacturing. So today, Fetch makes three autonomous mobile robots or AMRs that can move goods from anything from 100 kilograms to 500 kilograms to 1500 kilograms. So that's like a tube of toothpaste to a pallet of toothpaste. And when you look at what happens in most of these facilities, they're moving goods to be operated on. That could be in the case of fulfillment, that's picking it off a shelf and putting it into a box. In the case of manufacturing, that's taking a raw good like a nut or a bolt or an engine block or parts of a dishwasher and bringing that to an assembly line to then be assembled. And sometimes we end up moving the whole finished good like a dishwasher across a facility. And so we use the robots to do that. And before the pandemic, we were predominantly doing very long runs. So several hundred feet that took people, you know, several minutes to go walk those distances so that they could focus on doing assembly tasks or boxing or some kind of quality inspection. Today with the pandemic, it's shifted a little bit. Now we take over most of the movement, even movement between short movements between stations so people don't have to interact with each other. And so that's something that we saw very quickly after the shelter-in-place orders happened. A lot of our customers changed what the robots were doing to reflect some of the new policies that had to be put in place. 
And so autonomous mobile robots, you know, have AMRs have, have been at work in factories and, and warehouses for a long time, you know, including yours. Amazon alone reportedly has over 200,000 in their fulfillment centers. When you look at the cutting edge of where the technology is, where it's going, the advancements that you're making, how would you describe it? Yeah, so I guess one thing I'm going to put out there is, is so the types of robots that Amazon actually uses, they're not AMRs, they're AGVs. So they follow guidance on the floor. So AGV stands for automated guided vehicle. So it has something on the floor or in the environment that it's guided by. So they have little stickers on the ground. And yeah, they do have two or 300,000 of those vehicles doing delivery. And so if you look at it, AGVs came into the scene in the 1980s. And those vehicles were predominantly guided by things in the environment. You saw them in car manufacturing plants. You see them in e-commerce fulfillment. They've become pretty prevalent. But one of the challenges with that technology is it wasn't as flexible. And so, but one of the limitations before 2000, 2005, was we didn't have the computation power to do a lot of the things that we wanted to do with autonomous mobile robots. And around 2010, 2015, you started seeing more and more companies being able to produce these autonomous mobile robots. So AMRs have been around since around 2012. I know that still is a long time, but it's a little bit different than 1980. And I think the thing is, is that if you look at it, robotics, it takes decades to have an overnight success in the robotics technology. And I think that that's something that's, it's kind of hard for people to understand how long it takes for the technology to evolve. We're still running on the machines that we have today, algorithms that were basically thought up in the early 2000s and the late 1990s. So the technology moves very slowly. But the technology is evolving. It's definitely driving progress. But I would say that the biggest thing that I think has helped with autonomous mobile robots in general is the ability to create a cloud platform. So that's one of the things that Fetch does is we use the cloud to basically deploy. So the coordination and the fleet management aspects of the robots are done in the cloud. The robots are still autonomous units, but there's this partnership between the cloud and the robot. So, you know, people talk about the fog where there's edge computing. Well, robots are basically the edge (laughs) in some ways. And so, but I I would say that it's getting there, but I don't think you'll hit like a certain ubiquitousness in the technology that we're deploying today, probably for another five to 10 years. It just takes that long for the technology ramp to happen in our space. We also asked Melanie about the technology ramp for one of the most highly anticipated use cases for robotics in the e-commerce space, autonomous delivery. There's a lot of applications for robotics outside of the warehouse. Uh, you know, one of those that we've seen a lot of effort made is around solving the last mile model, whether it's through autonomous delivery drones or on the ground robots that are working within e-commerce. I'm curious sort of how you see robotics as a solution for that problem. Yeah, that's a difficult one. Outside is pretty hard. I think that when you look in the robotics space, we talk about going from structured environments, which are easy, to completely unstructured environments, which are very, very, very hard. So structured environments would be a large empty space with nothing moving. Typically your standard research lab. Semi-structured environments are things like warehouses where they have a lot of fixed infrastructure. The people in those facilities are trained 
and they have a specific job that they're going to do. Now, less structured environments like grocery stores, retail, that's when you start blending into unstructured. The facilities look the same. The infrastructure is there, but the participants are less trained. They have different agendas. They have different social norms. Like if you look at some of the robots that have been deployed in grocery stores, children run up to the robots and hug them. That's actually a pretty difficult situation for the robot. Now, as you get further and further away from buildings and into the outdoors, it gets far, far more unstructured. And those are very, very, very difficult problems to solve. If you look at it, you have you know lots of participants. You have lots of different things moving at lots of different speeds, especially for on the sidewalk delivery vehicles. They may have to cross the street where cars are. They're very low to the ground. They're hard to see. People like to play with them. People like to take pictures with them. I would say that ground-based vehicles have a lot of challenges unless they use the roadways because the roadways create some norms. And that's why I think some of the more promising delivery vehicles are ones that are smaller versions of cars that only deliver groceries inside of them because they're using the infrastructure that was built for road transport and they're not taking over a public sidewalk. But we'll see. One of the companies building autonomous delivery vehicles for last mile delivery is Neuro.ai. We spoke to Dave Ferguson, the company's chief operating officer at our tech and internet conference earlier this year to hear more about the opportunity for autonomous delivery. Where are you now in terms of being able to deliver autonomously? You've got this partnership that you recently announced with Walmart. How far away are we from seeing something like that, you know, really out live in the wild? Today, the U.S. retail market, the consumer retail market, is around $6 trillion. Only 11% of that is e-commerce, right? So as big as Amazon is, and as impressive as a company as Amazon is, we're still only talking about 11% of retail commerce. And the rest, the other 89%, is still performed locally in person. And in the U.S., that typically means you get in a car, you drive to your local shops, you buy stuff, and you come back. What we're trying to do at Neuro is to replace all of those trips by delivering things to people on demand and making it both better in terms of time, also safety, efficiency, the effort required. In terms of the technology on the software side, we're solving many of the same problems as general passenger transportation. I think where we see there being a significant advantage for transporting goods instead of people is, I like to use the example of detecting a brick in the middle of the road to explain it. So the reason why solving self-driving for passenger transportation is so hard is that your system basically has to be perfect. You have to detect that brick every single time because you can't afford to run into a brick in the middle of the road. For us, we want to be the safest vehicle out on the roads because we should be able to, right? We don't have people inside, and frankly, we don't care nearly as much about the eggs that are inside the vehicle as we do about the kids playing in the road. So we want to be more conservative. We want our vehicle to effectively self-sacrifice so that it can favor the safety of what's outside the vehicle rather than what's inside. And so from a technical perspective, we leverage all of that as we're designing our system. We still have to detect traffic lights. We still have to detect other vehicles. So the feature set is very similar 
similar to general self-driving, but we're able to really, really bias towards safety so that we can produce both a much safer overall system and we can solve the entire tech challenge uh, as a whole much, much faster. You know, we're focused on goods transportation because we see it as a trillion dollar opportunity that we can really go scale and capture. However, I think that there's actually a pretty strong argument to be made that by doing so, we're going to end up having a much larger fleet of vehicles that's out there actually profitably operating in the world. And with that fleet, we then get an order of magnitude more data, and that enables us to solve the entire passenger self-driving problem as well. That's not sort of a core goal of ours, but I do think that we're going to see an acceleration in, in terms of solving the general problem by the more vehicles that we get out there being capable. So while a growing number of retailers and shipping companies are adding robotic technologies to increase productivity during these challenging times, Melanie says the future of robotics in everything from warehouses to delivery, and even in the home, will be dependent on the ability to bring down the overall cost of the technology. So, you know, as someone who has spent her career in robotics, where do you see you know, the field going? You've seen nearly 20 years of progress. What do the next 20 years look like? Yeah, I would say the next 20 years is really around the expansion of practical applications of this technology. You know, I would say that until 2010, it was pretty hard to deploy robotics technology outside of in very rigid industrial applications. Right now, we're entering the next phase of collaborative robots. And it took us about 60 years to get through the industrial robot phase. Now we're in the collaborative robot phase. So I really think that the next 20 to 30 years is going to be really the expansion of the collaborative robot phase. I think near the middle of that, so in the next 10 to 15 years, we might might see the beginnings of some home robot applications beyond vacuum cleaning robots, maybe robots that have the ability to manipulate the environment. But it's hard because the componentry, the sensors that we need to make this technology work are pretty expensive and hard to make. I mean, if someone suddenly came up tomorrow with a reality sensor, robotics would have a very different timeline and execution model. But until we have this magical sensor that can measure all of reality, it's very expensive to build robots and to make technology at the price point that people are looking for. You know, it's important to remember that a cell phone costs a thousand dollars. And the cell phone doesn't have any actuation in it other than a vibrating motor. And the problem is, is that there's a big disconnect because if you go and you say to someone, I'll give you a robot that'll clean your house and fold your laundry, and you ask them how much they think it should cost, they're going to say $1,000. But today, if you want to lift a gallon of milk, that costs about $30,000. And so there's, we've, wow. got a, we've got a pretty long bridge to cross yeah, to, yeah. to do that. While cost may be a challenge, Dave Ferguson believes that transformation is imminent. If you look back in the last 30 years at, at how life has changed, uh, I would say that from the digital perspective, we've seen unbelievable transformation, right? Smartphones, the internet, and everything that that has enabled. But if you look, if you think about the physical world with mobility being a piece of that, things haven't really changed that much. The chairs that you're sitting on, the table that you're sitting behind, might be slightly different, but, but fundamentally, not much has changed in the physical world in the last 30 years. If you fast forward from today another 20 to 30 years, I think we're going to see drastic, drastic change. That concludes this latest episode of Exchanges. I want to thank Devin Parekh, Melanie Wise, and Dave Ferguson for joining us. 
Be sure to tune in at the end of this week for our exchanges market update, where Goldman Sachs experts shared their perspective on the week's financial developments. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and rate us on Apple Podcasts. I'll join you next month with another episode of Venture Capital Horizons. Until then, I'm Heath Terry, and thanks for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.